0: Welcome to Caesar's insiders podcast in this podcast. I'll be interviewing leading Caesars in the industry for a light conversation about anything from their favorite drinks to favorite vendor to key influencers, biggest accomplishments and failures, myths they like to debunk advice. They want to give out, and even some tips, they can extend to the eager vendor who's knocking on their door. Join us for a light talk. I encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. So thank you so much for joining my podcast, Tal. Uh, let me uh, let me give our listeners a quick uh, brief about you. So we actually know each other for s- quite some time now. We first met in the year two thousand while we were working together for a consulting company based out of Israel. We even went to the same college before going our separate ways. Um, uh, al- although I think you you went on a slightly uh, different route than I did, uh, but we did attend uh, the same college. And after almost uh, eight years working as a project manager and an information security consultant, you went ahead and moved into the corporate world, uh, landing your first big uh, gig at Canon. Moving up the ladder, you eventually held the information security manager for the EMEA region. After nine years, which is quite a lot at Canon, yeah you moved part
1: myself huh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so after nine years you you moved yourself to to Seva logistics and served as a as a CISO and v p for almost three years and about six months back you- m- actually moved to Carlsberg, thus combining your two passions uh beer and cyber did I miss yeah, did I miss anything out? Uh, I'm sure I have, but uh, do you feel there are any like major milestones or landmarks you, I should have mentioned or anything else that you wanna add?
1: No, I, th- I think you got pretty, pretty well. Uh, I might add that I have also a, a few years experience also back from my military service, um, which I ended up landing a position of the head of security for what was then the central IT campus of the military. Uh, such uh, as it was uh, security at that point It was uh, quite a long time ago. The security looked completely different, but uh, it was maybe my first touch point with this field, my first serious touch point with the field of uh, IT security or cybersecurity.
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember. I think that when you started working for the same consulting company I did, I think you were fresh out of the military, if I remember yep. correctly. Yeah.
1: I wasn't actually planning to work straight out of the military uh, because I spent quite a few years there, but uh, it was the height of the dot-com period before everything blew up and the salaries uh, back then were insane. And for someone that just uh, finished with military salary, it was like, wow, that's, I can make a lot of money outside. So let's, let's do it.
0: Yeah. 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 I remember those times. Uh, Yeah. Quite (laughs) fondly actually. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a a bit of a you know, like on a personal note about yourself, I know that you're married. I know you have two children. Remind me again, um, boy and a girl.
1: Yes, uh, ten, almost 10 almost a half year old boy and, uh, and a seven or almost seven year old girl. And uh, funny enough, uh, because I've been in the Netherlands now for the last uh, 12 years or so, both of them were born in the Netherlands. And they're actually bilingual, or in the case of my son, he's actually trilingual. He speaks already three languages fluently, which I'm quite envious. So at the, they're at the point when they're correcting my uh, accent in Dutch, not to talk about my grammar. Right? Uh, so it's quite interesting, uh, you know, raising kids in, in a country that you were not born in yeah. because it's a, it's a different experience. And, um, you know, they're a good combination of between Dutch and Israeli. Yeah,
0: I actually didn't know we were so uh, close apart. So my son will be turning ten in in about a month, and my daughter is about seven.
1: So, okay, yeah. so more or less the same. Yeah, yeah, more or less. Yeah, the the problem with growing with raising them in the Netherlands is that we don't have any more languages we can speak that they don't understand. Yeah. yeah so if we need to kind of exchange in secrets, it's WhatsApping to each other basically
0: yeah so i i I've been having the same issue here, so you know we moved to the u s about a year and a half ago, and by now they understand uh, English, obviously, so we can't really communicate in english anymore <laughs> yeah so with
1: their accent is better is better as well right
0: yeah of course, of course, so yeah. we just uh, vote not to talk at all, so with each other about the kids yeah that's the yeah that's what we do
1: so that's the option yeah
0: <laughs> yeah so uh, I have a um like um, like a fixed a fixed question that I always ask uh, here, uh, which is what your what's your favorite drink? And I do realize that you now work for Carlsberg, so let's ask pre Carlsberg and and post Carlsberg.
1: <laughs> yeah, so let's say pre Carlsberg. I'm quite a big whiskey drinker, and I tend to lean to the more heavily peated uh, whiskey. So I would say that my kind of regular household one is Artbeg. And I tend to go to the cast strength ones because I like melting my insides. Um, but of course, once I joined the Carlsberg, I'm not allowed to like anything other than Carlsberg. But um, the the nice thing about it is that you know, uh, especially coming from Israel, where you can only find a cup of the Carlsberg brands, I didn't realize that Carlsberg has over 140 different brands of beer, and I've never seen most of them. Oh, that's uh, a lot. so I'm. Yeah, so uh, I'm kind of going through a big journey of tasting every single thing that the company is manufacturing. Uh, So far my favorite is, uh, it's a brand, it's called Jakobson, which is the kind of premium brand of Carlsberg and specifically the IPA, which is called Yakima. It's a very kind of, and and, and the funny thing is that I'm not even a big fan of IPA, right? But it's uh, it's good stuff. So that's my current uh, trade of uh, beer.
0: Well, that's a worthy cause, you know, tasting 140 kinds <laughs> of beer. Uh, yep. yeah. and
1: 600 different types of beer, right? So it's 140 but over 600 types of beer. Wow.
0: Well, definitely you you yeah. have your work uh, you know, cut out for you. So yes. good luck with that. <laughs> so uh really, I mean, the, I think the main reason I I asked you to jo- to join uh, my podcast here is uh as I think we've discussed in the past, I'm trying to get a more personal feel and a more personal touch on on CISO's and CISO's lives and experiences. And I'm I'm trying to to understand better about you know what makes uh, what makes you tick. Uh, and, and I'm not gonna ask too many like professional questions and nothing about vendors or anything like that, but uh, I, I do wanna touch a bit about like vendor uh, relationships and, and you know your experience with, with working with vendors, working with partners, working with your customers and your employees. So it's a bit more of a like a personal uh, approach. Um, so if you're comfortable with that, let's just uh, dive right in. And I'll ask you a bunch of uh, quick questions here. So, what's the one thing you wish you'd known when you began your career?
1: Um, I, I, I would probably say that um, I've learned that it's okay not to know everything. Because uh, especially in, in security, this is a field that just develops over and over and over again. Like if you don't learn something this week, then you probably did something wrong. But um, at the first uh, few years of, of my kind of journey into security, uh, I was really stressed out about the fact that I didn't know this and I didn't know that and I tried to grab everything. And over the time, you realize that it's okay not to know everything, especially as a CISO, as long as you know what you don't know and you're not ashamed to actually ask people that do know. I think that, that's the thing. I, I can't be expert in anything, right? So yeah. some areas when I think I'm definitely better, and in some areas I'm not, but I know what my weaknesses are and I know wh- who to ask when I need uh, some assistance.
0: Yeah, I think someone had said once, uh, surround yourself by smarter people.
1: Yes, Than definitely,
0: yeah. so. definitely. You know, that's what I try to do. Uh, um, moving on, what's your biggest failure and what did you learn from it?
1: My biggest failure, um... I think uh, I can't really mark anything as my biggest failure, but I definitely had failures or issues that I caused during my career. One thing that I learned uh, the hard way is that every single thing that I do will have an impact either on people's lives in the organization, even if it's a little minor thing, you know, in terms of user experience or more uh, drastically will have an impact over the people that actually run IT. And um, I had uh, I had a colleague back in Canon who ran IT operations, and I was in a meeting with him when I told him, "Oh, let's just turn on that security option. I don't remember what it was, and you know, it's just a tick in the box, and uh, and it's fine." And he stopped the meeting and he looked at me. he was a really scary English guy. He looked at me and he said, "Never ever use that term next to me, because." you have to take a box, you're going to take a box, I'm going to have 40 people working the entire weekend to fix what you did, what you just did. And actually, you know, after I kind of relaxed, but he's actually right, because in many cases, what we do as security people, we don't necessarily see the impact later on. I had a couple of examples later on when I, you know, I deployed a new EDR in one of my companies and I killed a, a big site because it saturated the line, even though the vendor said that it's never going to happen. It did happen, of course. So it's those things where you really need to think about what kind of impact you're going to have when you do something.
0: This actually brings me to another separate question that I had. Uh, I had written down like down the line here, but uh, but as you mentioned, you know, you're a CISO and you're working with uh, the IT managers as well. Uh, and I'm assuming you are, or at least were in the past, a CISO, but uh, as part of the IT. IT. I, I,
1: yeah, well, I'm still, I still am basically. So I, I report to the CIO. And actually, when I think about my previous positions, I report to the CIO. So I am part of IT, uh, essentially.
0: Okay, okay. So, so that brings me to the following question. What do you feel about the role of a CISO that is, in fact, a part of IT? What are the, the pros and cons, in your opinion?
1: So, the, so there's been I think uh, an argument within the security industry for, for years now where the CISO position should sit. And many people say it has to report directly to the CEO or to the board. So yes, in the perfect world, I wouldn't mind reporting to the CEO or to the board, but realistically speaking in many cases, the, CIO, uh, the, sorry, the CISO reports to CIO. Now it is a kind of a conflict of interest on the one hand On the other hand, the CIO in many cases is the only person that can actually really understand the issue of IT security. Now, many people will say, but there's a conflict of interest, right? Because the CIO doesn't care about security, he does just want to uh, make sure everything works. I haven't yet seen CIOs that don't care about security. It might not be their highest priority, they might not want to give you all the budget that you want, but you're not different than any other IT departments. And it's very uncommon, I think, at least in my experience that you come to a CEO and say this is an intolerable risk, you can't do it. And the CIO will say, no, I'm, I'm just going to ignore it. It doesn't happen. Because the CEO by the end of it is responsible that IT works only. Yeah. So by the end of it, I think a lot of it is, is related to the relationship between the CIO and the CISO. But I don't think this is inherently bad. The last thing about it is that if you're part of IT, you have easy access to IT resources and to IT operations, which is by the end of it, those are the people you spend most of your time with. Uh, and also you have access to the uh, the budget of IT because you're part of the organization. And I've, I've met CISOs who were part of the legal organization, for example, and legal traditionally doesn't have that large of a budget, which means those CISOs end up being in a in a, Consultative kind of structure when they can say what to do, but they don't really have the capacity to implement anything or to 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 use any technological means because they don't have the budget.
0: Yeah, they 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 assume the role of a guide more than uh, like someone Yeah, that exactly. That yeah, that's responsible for implementing. But you know, you mentioned uh, you know IT security, but as you as you as you know, a CISO is responsible for. Um, for risks that not necessarily, not all of them necessarily derive, rely on IT systems and platforms. So you know you have a vast, uh, vast world of risks out there. Not all of them right. are IT related. So so how would you, how would you d- deal with that?
1: Well, uh, the first thing I do is that every time I go into a company, I define myself as an information security rather than IT security, because from my perspective, I say I secure information regardless of where it is, as you said, it doesn't have to be on an IT platform. Now, my approach normally is that I assume it's my mandate until someone tells me otherwise. Mm. And so far, I never had any issue because I'm coming to that area, let's say R&D, right? It's not IT and they keep their information in different systems sometimes or not even in systems. And I tell them, look, I'm here to help you secure your data. There's no one else in the company that will do that. What do you need? And through relationship, you manage in most cases to establish that, uh, that kind of approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even within your, you're sitting within IT, your mandate as a security uh, head is typically wider than the mandate of IT. So, you know, in this position, in my previous positions, I've done things which the CIO not only is not involved, is not even aware or she's not even aware of what I'm doing. Because it's not part of her everyday work. She she is doing IT. I'm doing information security wherever it resides. Okay. Of course, when you ask for when you ask for budget for something, then you need to explain that also.
0: Yeah, definitely. But then, but then, what would you say, like in terms of uh, relationship building? Let's say you need a budget to to improve the the security in the SDLC life cycle, right? So. Yeah obviously it won't come out of IT's budget, but then if it will go out of the development, the VPR and D's budget, they would might want to have like a different, uh, you know, team member that will lead that effort, right?
1: Yeah, Um, I haven't had that scenario yet. It's not common for companies or corporations to run competing security departments. I have seen attempts to do it in some of the companies I've been, but in many cases, the organization recognizes the fact that it doesn't make sense to have two competing security organizations. So in my case, I would definitely put someone in the R&D division to be my representative over there. Mm -hmm. But from my perspective, you know, I own security in the company. I shouldn't be uh, needing to argue with other people about which policy should be done where. That, by the way, also goes for security operations. Because in many companies, security operations is run by a different part than the CISO. And my approach here is always, if that person doesn't report to me directly, they need to have a very strong dotted line to me. Because if they decide to do something, let's say that person decides to run the SOC tomorrow. They can't do it in separately than what I do because I define the threat horizon or the threats that the organization needs to compete against. Mm -hmm. So that's that's, that's the approach.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So we started off by, I started off by asking about your biggest failure. Can I ask about your biggest accomplishment? If this is something you can share with us?
1: I think uh, I would probably say my previous position when I joined uh, Siva Um, It was, I I was the number one and the only number of, uh, in the security organization. So I was a one-man show in a company of uh, 60,000 people. Uh, And I I was mortified, you know, I wasn't, I was there for uh, a few months just before the WannaCry and NotPetya started. And I basically, I didn't sleep for half a year because I thought it was just a minute before everything collapses Um, and through Uh, a lot of effort and hard evidence and a lot of explanation, I managed to convince the organization that they need to do something about the security and just having a a token CISO sitting uh, in an office somewhere is not sufficient. I told them very clearly, you need the organization, you need the technology and I need the mandate. And I think as soon as I managed to convince the powers that be, in this case was a CEO, he was very minded for the fact, uh, as soon as I managed to convince him that there is a problem that he need to take care of, then that's it. I got, I won't say everything that I wanted, but I got a lot. And when I left Siva, I had a standing security organization. Um, we had a lot of, um, we had a lot of uh, new tools that we embedded into place. We embedded some of the processes. We had a, uh, an SDLC process. I mean, we became basically an integral part of the organization. And I wouldn't say it's complete. Right, it's a very long journey in such a big company. But I felt like I did a very, very big step towards having that culture Mm -hmm. okay great and
0: and by the way did you um i mean when establishing those processes and procedures and policies did you adopt any any international framework such as like the iso 27001 or did you just build it like based out of industry best practices and your own experience so far?
1: So the, the, the organization was already certified at least partially for 27,000 ones, So I already had uh, I had policies there that was by the book, or at least according to the, to the standard. What I did basically, I then took them and I short shortened them and simplified them significantly because they were quite long and complicated. And by the end of the day, the policies is something that the vast majority of employees will never read. Or if they read, they read the first yeah. five lines, right? Let, let's yeah. be honest with ourselves. Correct. So what I did, I did, I gave, um, Each policy had in the first page five lines that says, if you're not reading the policy, read those five lines. Those are the very essentials. But know this, if I need to hit you on the head, if you didn't follow the policy, then I'll hit you with the full force of that document. So it's recommended that you read the full policy, but if you don't, then read uh, those five lines.
0: Okay, Uh, that's great input, thank you. So, you know, I know a lot of uh, people that are just uh, starting off their cybersecurity career in, right now. And, you know, thinking into the into consideration, you've been in this space for what, like 20 years now? I mean, even more than 20 years now? If we, 20,
1: 24 or something like yeah, that, yeah. If we include real too long, too
0: experience, long. yeah. <laughs> uh, so someone with your experience and track record, what would be the the advice, the best advice you could give someone who wants to pursue a career similar to yours? You know, mostly to be to, to be able to integrate himself or or herself into the cyberspace and you know achieving
1: stature, not statutes. Um. Wow, that's that's a big question because it's, uh, I I always think about the, the the best way to describe it because it's not it's not easy, right? I think it, when we started our career, it was easier because there wasn't really a clear framework. Away, we just kind of drifted into this uh, field, right? Yeah. There's much more structured than it used to be. There's much more requirements, you know, all the various certifications that exist back in the day. Um, I would say the, probably the most important thing is. Understand what it is you want to do in security because there's a a perception that uh, everyone in security are wearing hoodies and are hacking all day long and then they go home, you know, in their, I don't know. uh, Lamborghinis and drink uh, a lot of whiskey. Um, So first of all, understand what it is you want to do because there's a lot of fields with security, whether it's architecture, penetration, testing, offensive, defensive, uh, malware, whatever. Understand first the field and what it is you want to do and then start learning to achieve what it is that you want to do. because you don't, you don't need to know everything. Going back to what I said before, you don't need to know everything, right? Uh, we talked about before that uh, we, we were both part of a discussion and in an Israeli cybersecurity group on Facebook where there was a guy that came into that group and asked, do I have to know coding in order to work in security? Because I really don't like coding. And immediately like five guys told them, uh, no, nope, you have to know coding, coding is security. And, and I came there and I said, no, coding is not security. If you want to do application security, penetration, testing, offensive, yes, definitely you need to know coding. But there's a lot of other fields in security that doesn't require that. So check what you want to know and then learn it. Then of course, I've been told by several people that, I do, that I'm uh, deluding myself and I'm not really doing security. Um, and that's maybe connecting also to the other thing I wanted to know. If you are taking uh, a mentor or someone to learn from then make sure that you're taking the right person to support you, not someone that they think they are the, the hacker king of the world, but someone who has some experience and a bit more realistic in what they do in their everyday security. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the last point of this one, and that's my personal opinion, I think that um, on the job training and practical experience is more important than, than certifications. This, I think there's a lot of discussions in the community about this. And last couple of years, it seems to me like uh, a lot of people think that if they do uh, have a list of abbreviations after their, after their name in LinkedIn, that means they are uh, accredited security professionals. That's not the case in my view. I think certifications come after the fact or during your on-the-job training, but not as a replacement for experience. If you have certifications, but you have never worked in the industry, you're gonna have a problem. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, in my experience, I tend to agree that uh, on the job training uh, is the most valuable, but I do think that like from my personal experience that achieving certifications through training just allows you to deepen your skills and your, and your knowledge. And, and I think that's important as well because as human beings, we always grow. I mean, at least some of us, right? So we, we try yeah. to grow, I think that's a human trait. And I think that you know sometimes you need to you need you need to learn more, right? And we all yeah. learn more on a daily basis, whether it's, it's through on-the-job training, but or sometimes through you know taking an online course or even attending a a, a course in person. But but I do agree with you that uh, you know it's not it's not you know just to do the training will get you through the door, right? It it yeah. might help you in
1: some cases, but. Uh, don't get me wrong, I'm all for the learning and the training. I'm just saying it's not the replacement for the, the, the real thing, quote, unquote. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Especially since some, some of the accreditation bodies have their own, let's say, version of reality, right? I, I was in a couple of courses a few years ago where you step in, so for a very famous accreditation organization, you step into the room and the lecture tells you, Welcome to the world of this organization. Forget anything you know about security, you're now learning our version of security, which may or may not be correct, but this is what we're learning here. Yeah, yeah,
0: I attended, I probably attended the same the same course. Yeah. Uh, but going back to your first question, and this is what, where I think you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, I think it goes back to setting goals, basically, right? Because you mentioned, you said something about, uh, know what you want to do in security because it's uh it's a big field so would you say that maybe setting a goal such as you know become a chief information security officer in x uh, in under x years or become a penetration testing team leader um, in under y years or anything like that that would sum up your uh, first point of the advice that you gave
1: um yes and no i mean I- it, it is important to have aspirations, or kind of uh, you know, get go where you want to go, right? But to give yourself a goal to be, for example, a CISO in I don't know x amount of years is not necessarily something you can achieve because there's a lot of um, factors there that you can't really uh, impact. You know, uh, politics and locations and companies and the fact how visible you are to the market. So maybe having a goal of uh, being professional in a specific part and be recognized as a professional, that's a good thing. Um, if you want to be more exposed, then give yourself a goal of going to conferences, uh, or, I mean, giving lectures in conferences or giving talks, maybe have a podcast. So, these things, I think, give yourself achievable goals because if you give uh, yourself a goal of, I want to be a CISO for a multinational within seven years from today, okay, I'm not sure uh, if that's a positive thing or a good thing that you will want to pull yourself through but yeah by the end of it like everything in life you need to have some sort of attainable goal right okay yeah yeah makes sense
0: um okay moving on to the next one uh so wait let me see that i didn't uh miss out on it no okay i think we're good so are what are the best resources that have helped you along the way The best resources. Yeah, what are, you know, vendors, customers, uh, employees, colleagues, anything like that? I mean, what help you? People. People?
1: People. It's always people, yeah. I mean, if you ask me today if I want to spend half a million on another toy or more people to my team, I would say without hesitation, people. You can always achieve much more with professionals working in your team than with another, another tool at your disposal. You know, just think how more valuable you will be with a very experienced application security person uh, in comparison to, I don't know, a, a static code analysis tool. So people were always the most important asset and, um, and I always prefer to have them rather than to have something else uh, in my disposal.
0: Yeah, that's a recurring answer by, by a lot of, uh, of the people I interview. Um, who are the three people who have been the most influential to you?
1: So, um, remember, we thought about that answer before and I, I, I'm i giving you the very uh, cliche or somewhat cliche answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, first of all, I would say my, my father because he's been kind of a, a consultant uh, for me uh, for years, you know, for many years. Um, we somehow have a kind of a division within the family that uh, I go to my mother with all the kind of emotional uh, advice and my dad with the more... Uh, work related, not because they, are, they can't advise the other thing but just because it kind of appeared that structure. And every time that I had a big um, crossroads in life that I need to choose one way or the other, he was there to give me a, a good advice. And in many cases, it was just listening and affirming something that I already knew but I didn't have the courage to take, so I would say. So that was first person, Uh, second person is my wife. Um, And in many cases, because she's the exact opposite for me, I'm I'm a very emotional person and she's much more analytical than me. So she balances me in a way that helps me, you know, pull through uh, life, basically. I I go back uh, home after I had a a tough day at work, and I'm like, I did that, I did that, they did that. And she goes like, okay, now take away all the emotional stuff and think about what just happened. Does it still look that bad? Uh, No, actually it's quite stupid. So, uh, of course, the fact that she's the mother of the kids also helps. Um, And then the third person, I would say, is my former uh, manager in Siva, the person I hired for Siva, Mm -hmm. uh, who is uh, definitely the most impressive person I ever worked with. First of all, in terms of knowledge, um, he ran huge IT organizations. And uh, even though he he couldn't advise me on the security stuff, he he knew enough about IT to always give me a, a good direction. And the more important thing for him, people, again, were the most important asset. And I think the first time I encountered that was when uh, a couple of months after I joined TV, there was we had a major security incident in, in, in one of the sites and I was very stressed out because it you know, it's my first incident, a in new company, I don't know anyone, uh, I don't have any tools at my disposal. Uh, and then he calls me and I was sure that it's gonna be like the last talk I'm gonna have with him. And he goes like, how are you doing? Are you still happy that you're here? I'm still happy that you joined Stephen. Okay, what can we do about this incident? And and I finished this conversation saying, okay, you know what, you can do these kind of things without putting too much pressure on people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I've heard this story before and it was uh, pretty impressive then, it's still impressive now. Uh, and thank you for sharing that. Um, let me ask you another quick, uh, a couple of quick questions here before I let you go. Um, what is the one common myth about your profession or field that you want to debunk <laughs>
1: um, i I think we kind of mentioned that before it's the it's the hoodie or rather the uh the perception that uh, security is all about the glamour and the hacking and the um, you know that you can break every single thing that uh, that moves in the cyberspace uh People need to understand security is a lot about hard work and a lot of it. So, you know, you go into your organization, you want to implement something, it might take you years before you see an actual significant change, but you need to prepare for that, right? It's not like you hack it and it's finished. Now you need to fix everything that you broke as well. So it's a lot of hard work, it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of studying, but it's also a lot of fun as well. Uh, you know, you get to learn everything about technology in organization and you feel that you are actually making change. And in some cases, even a positive change uh, in the organization.
0: And it definitely doesn't um, hurt that you have so many beers around you, right? To try Yes,
1: definitely. Definitely. Being constantly drunk definitely helps. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think that's maybe that that might be the best piece of advice you gave out here. Uh, yep. To be someone, drunk, least, but on yeah.
1: but on Carlsberg beers, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Only yeah. on um, so and and again, we, we know each other for possibly twenty years now. Um and you know, and and you're familiar with with my work and what it is that I do. And uh, <clears throat> for those of you who doesn't know, I mean, <clears throat> I I'm the CEO of a consulting group. I I have a I actually run a few companies, uh, in the cybersecurity and compliance space. And I I like to ask uh, a lot of the CEOs I talk with uh, the following question: What would you have asked yourself uh, that I didn't if you were in my shoes in terms of like you know, well, you know, it's a, actually, it's an open question. So anything you can think of, just, you know, put yourself in my shoes and ask yourself, what is it that I might uh, not be asking myself?
1: Um, I think, and, and it's more a general thing about uh, consulting is that you need to remember that even though you are a consultant that coming for a limited time in the company, and you might be highly experienced, you need to match what it is you're doing to the organization that you're working within. Your reports and the risk levels you identify need to match the organization's risk appetite. So, you know, it might be that the risk, according to OWASP, just uh, to give an example, is critical, but that organization doesn't think it is because of X, Y, Z. And you need to also remember that everything that you recommend, someone needs to implement it. So make sure that what it is that you're trying to achieve is realistic. And it's not, you're not just, uh, you know, giving a combination of, I, I, was, I was in a, I used a consultancy uh, about a couple of years ago that they audited uh, one of our systems. And then they said in their condition, the system is so bad, you need to re-architecture the whole thing and build it from scratch, come on you don't give these kind of advices. You know, No one's gonna follow them, it's gonna go like this and that's it, that's the end of the report. So be realistic with what it is you're recommending, match it to the style of the organization and make sure that you write the report in a way that people who are not from security can actually understand the language of it, at least the executive mm-hmm. summary.
0: And what about the personal side of things? I mean, as you said, it's all about people at the end of the day. And I'm sure you have yeah. like your, uh, you know, your you cons- the consultants that you usually work with and your favorite vendors and so on. And I'm sure there's some kind of like a personal relationship uh, there as well. Would you say that, that there's something to be done around that area?
1: Yeah, it, it's actually you're right. It's actually more important than than uh, than I mentioned. Um, if you look at the the vendors I'm working with, not not all of them, right? I always meet new people, new companies, but I have like a, a hardcore of companies that I've been working with for years because I trust them because I know they're not trying to sell me for the sake of selling me, but they see me as a long-term partner. Sometimes across multiple companies, I have two uh, companies I work with now across the, now in the third company. Uh, And with the same people because I trust them because I know they're trying to really I mean you know there's always a commercial interest right but by the end of it it's more important for them that I'm happy with what they're doing than to sell me another piece of something and that's I think is the secret if you're trying to achieve something tomorrow if you're trying to just sell one thing and then do your you know like uh, the annual bonus and proceed then that's not going to work at least not for me Mm -hmm.
0: okay so it comes back to trust. But you know, yes. at some point, you you were somehow either introduced to them, or they approached you, or you inherited them. Somehow the connection was made at uh, the beginning, right? And this actually leads me to a, a few other uh, follow-up questions here, um, because you know, a lot of CISOs nowadays are 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 overburdened and overcrowded with a lot of whatever, like emails, phone calls, LinkedIn requests, you know, everybody's offering you something new. I know everybody's offering me a lot of new services every day, like, yeah. yeah. Anything from coaching, personal coaching to lead generation or anything like that. And I'm sure you get the same, if not more than that. So, you know, uh, and you mentioned you work with like two trusted partners right now. Can you share anything about how the, the relationship began
1: actually? Uh, well, first of all, it's not two parties. I just mentioned a couple of them, but I have uh, more than two. Um, um, I think in many cases, it was, I was kind of, either I got introduced to them by someone that already worked with them and someone I trusted their opinion. So in many cases, that's how you do these things, you know, and, uh, uh, and if I already have a recommendation with someone that I trust and I know, then I'll be much more open to have a conversation with them. Um, the other thing is that sometimes it's as easy as actually looking for a very specific solution that you're looking for, and then you reach out to the company, right? and then they reach out to you, and then of course you you kind of form your own impression. On the on the opposite side, I can I can say basically exactly what you said. The amount of phones, LinkedIn messages, and emails that I get is astounding, and what keeps amazing me is the fact that everyone thinks they're the only person that are talking with me. So like, do you have 15 minutes tomorrow to have uh, a quick conversation on this? It's like, no, I don't have 15 minutes to go to the toilet tomorrow. Uh, it, like, and, and there's like 50 other people asking for 15 minutes and it's not because I don't want to talk with you. I just don't have the time and I don't have the capacity and the attention span to talk with so many vendors. So don't think you're the only person. And if you are sending me uh, an, an email, then make sure that you don't send me a whole lecture of why your solution is needed. I just got an email uh, yesterday from a a company that does phishing simulation. And it was like, did you know that 91% of security incidents starting with a phishing email? Yes, this has been the statistics since 1998. Come on, stop sending these kind of emails. So yeah, so uh, basically it's it's stand out from the crowd, be realistic about what you're offering and how you offer it. And you know, if you're not, if I'm not answering the first or the second email, I'm probably not gonna answer the fifth, the sixth or the seventh email as well. Mm
0: -hmm. okay. Yeah, this is pretty much in alignment from what I've been hearing all around. Um, And touching more about that, what's the most annoying sales pitch you've encountered recently or ever?
1: Recently? (laughs) Or ever. I, I was uh, thinking about since we had a pre-conversation at and I had a story I didn't mention previously, it was actually a bit unique because uh, I ended up actually threatening to call the police on that company. Um, what happened was it was actually a recruitment company uh, like a cybersecurity recruiting company. So it wasn't a standard vendor. And what they did is they contacted me and they said that they want to work uh, work with, with me, basically to help me find candidates. I was recruiting at the time. I said, okay, I'm happy to have a conversation, but I'm not the one determining the recruiting companies. You need to get HR approvals. Uh, so they said, okay, we'll talk with HR and we'll come back to you. And they kept, they came back after two days. I said, okay, HR said we can work with you. And I said, okay, I know the company's HR. It takes them generations to move. Probably that didn't happen. So I said, let me check with them. And then I took for HR. Of course, HR told me, no, they told me that you said we should work with them. And then I have an email from my boss saying, oh, I heard that uh, they told me that you recommended them. And then my deputy also said, hey, they contacted me, said that I should talk with them because you said so. So it was like, they did it all over the place. And then I told them, guys, that's it. I don't want to hear from you anymore. uh, I don't work with flyers basically, especially not in HR field. And they kept calling and they kept sending me messages. I ended up blacklisting them across the whole organization in terms of email. And then two years later, when I moved to another company, they started calling me there again. At that point I said, if I hear from you again, I'm going to call the police for harassment, you know, because it was uh, too much. So, you know, it's a bit bit unusual, but uh, let's go back to what I said, don't lie. You know, if you want to sell something, especially in the security area, where people are built on trust and risk management. If you sell by lying to someone, you're not gonna get very far. Yeah, well,
0: I mean, it it should be pretty transparent, right? But uh, obviously it's not, but uh, yeah, that's definitely one of the most uh, bizarre stories I've heard, but I'm still collecting those. So the (laughs) the jury's still out on on the most- uh, On the winner. Yeah, on the winner of the most bizarre story. So what is it it that you're actually looking for in a vendor? And and if you can share any story about that.
1: Um, I think, first of all, what I'm looking for a vendor, first of all, is someone that fulfills a need, right? Not just someone who thinks they have the best solution ever. You know, I need to need what you need and I need to see that you actually understand what you're selling. Because in many cases when I have, or not many cases, in some cases when I talk with the initial salesperson, they can't answer the more technical questions. So that's okay. If you don't know, why are you talking to me? Um, So it needs to stand out a little bit from the crowd, and they need, um, they need to actually give you. Something that will fit with the rest of your ecosystem because you know it's a known problem in security where there's so many tools and many of them don't talk with each other. So I can't buy something that will be so out of sync with the rest of the organization. I need to write APIs from here until eternity. I need to have something that can have some basic integration with my ecosystem and I need to get something that will not generate more work than solving a problem. You know, if you buy a, I don't know, some sort of GRC system can give you an amazing risk management platform, but then you have to spend two years actually implementing it then you're not achieving what it is you're aiming to. And by the end of it, again, it's a vendor that I need to trust. It's people that I need to see that they will stay with me after the sales process. They will support me that they, their, um, them actually having a successful implementation an ongoing relationship is as important of the initial sales process. Because, you know, by the end of it, we kind of, we're not getting married, but we're getting as close as we can in some cases.
0: Yeah, so is there any any way at all possible that vendors like new vendors can actually reach out to you or connect to you in a non-intrusive manner? Or is it just, you know, it, it's always the same, go back to your network and you, you're the initiator of any such contact.
1: No, 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 not at all. But it just means that, you know, um, they need to somehow stand out from the crowd, right? Either via LinkedIn or via email. So don't use the standardized robot emails or templates or I've seen a trend recently of people sending pictures, uh, sending, uh, I don't know if you've seen that, pictures with like a writing board. I'm, hi Tal, I'm not a robot. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen it, I but, haven't seen but that. But the funny yet. thing, you haven't seen that, I've seen it recently quite a lot. The funny thing is that I got an email like that one day, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, but then my deputy comes back and he's got the same email saying, Hey, I'm not a robot, but with his name on it. So, uh, okay, you might as well be a robot. Um, stand out from the crowd. Give me a solution that I need. Investigate not only the company I work for and what the company actually needs, but also investigates maybe a little bit me. You know, if you send me an email about how phishing is bad, then, you know, I've, I've been doing this for so long now. I don't need that kind of uh, approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, make it a bit more personal. And then in many cases that that actually works. I can't promise it to work every time because of the amount of emails I'm getting, but it definitely has a better chance than the standard uh, templated emails.
0: Okay, so basically you invite vendors to stock
1: and to... no, 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 not a stock, not the stock. But I mean, okay, maybe don't investigate me, but you know, assume if, if I have twenty years of experience, I know something about security, right? And and don't do don't do cold calls, right? I, I don't do cold calls, I don't react to that very well. You know, like, Hi, am I interrupting? Do I have five minutes? No, you're interrupting, I don't have five minutes. Goodbye.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's gold. Uh where can our listeners connect with you online? I mean, if uh, and I and I think you've mentioned before that you that you have a blog that you uh, that you publish from time to time.
1: Yeah, I'm not very good with publishing. Like it takes probably months between one post to another. Uh, but uh, I'm on Medium under not a security guru, and it's important. It's not a security guru, and I think I mentioned to you last time that the reason I call it like that is because I was in an interview for a CISO position a few years ago with a big insurance company. And uh, it was pretty good uh, interview. And then the last question they asked me, uh, do you define yourself as a security guru? And I said, no, because it's a meaningless term. And you know, there's a few people in the industry I would say are gurus, but I wouldn't think they're fit for CISO position because you know they're scientists, they're researchers, the people mm-hmm. that build the technology. And they said, thank you. And then they told me I didn't get a job because I'm not a security guru. So I said, okay, that's, that's a gem. I need to call myself like that. Yeah. So I have a blog, a medium called security guru. I have a Twitter handle, the same name. I, again, I'm not very active on Twitter. I mostly read there, but, uh, and of course LinkedIn. Uh, okay. But mention it's because of the blog. Otherwise I'm not, I, I don't connect to people <laughs> that I don't know normally. <laughs> you know, you can't be in security for more than 20 years without becoming paranoid, right?
0: Yeah. So uh, not a security guru by, by Tal Arad uh no that's
1: that's the that's the handle that i use Yeah, yeah.
0: not a security guru simple as that okay got it and by the way how do you pronounce your name in english is it is it taller
1: yeah like uh, you know i I pronounce it like i pronounce in israel it's like depending where i am uh, the dutch tend to call me tall and the danish tend to call me something unpronounceable so i'll just
0: (laughs) skip that okay yeah Uh, so a couple of more quick questions uh, here. What's the single most important thing to you in your career?
1: The single most... Ooh, I don't know if I can I can match one of it. Um, I think going going home end of day and feel like I made a difference. You know, even if it's something small, and and something that you know it's a small achievement or a small like this. I, if if I go home and I felt like I did something, then. I think that, that that makes my day, basically. Okay. I mean there's a lot there's a lot of frustrations in security. It's it's not an easy job. You tend to kind of bump heads with other people and you are perceived as an evil guy. But by the end of the day, if I go home and I said I've made someone's life better, then that that's it. For me it's it's I've done it.
0: Okay. Yeah. I tend to feel the same uh in some days. Uh if you have if you had the unlimited funds, what would you do with your life?
1: <laughs> wow. Um Probably travel to some exotic uh, island somewhere, and I don't know. Maybe maybe read a book, uh, play music. Uh, not read a book, sorry. Write a book because I read anyway. Uh, play a lot of music. Uh, just sit on the beach all day long and then chill. Uh, I'll probably get bored after a couple of months, but at least probably. perceptionally it sounds it sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: perceptionally it does. Uh, yeah. And speaking about books, have you read or listened to anything recently that inspired you and you wanted to share?
1: Uh, Yeah, I I mentioned that um, there's a a podcast in Israel, which unfortunately is in Hebrew, so you need to understand Hebrew to to listen to that one. It's one of the funniest uh, blogs in cybersecurity I've listened to, and it's called Cyber Cyber. Um, And it's basically, it's a couple of really hardcore technical people that break everything they see, but the way they actually describe it is is just ridiculous. Uh, So it's, it's just a really recommended, yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. I'll we'll definitely listen at least to one of those. Um, okay. Uh, great. So you know, uh, I think I think uh, we, we were able to get a lot uh, a lot out of you. Uh, I think uh, you shared some valuable insights here about you know vendor vendor relationship management. Uh, what's what makes you tick? What's interesting to you in your professional life mostly? And I really appreciate the time that you took in, you know, in having the, the preliminary call with me and having this uh, recorded session right now. Uh, anything, you know, I could do to help, I will. And, and, and thank you again for your time, Tal.
1: Sure, my pleasure. Take care.
0: Thanks. Thank you for joining us for another episode of CISO's Insiders. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more professional content, please check us out on social media.